Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. A good friend joins me in the studio, Julie Foudy, former U.S. national team midfielder, and she was a four-time All-American at Stanford, and she went on to play for the U.S. women's national team for 17 years where she won the soccer gold medal at the Atlanta Games as well as the Games in Athens and also a silver medal at the Sydney Games. And she's a two-time Women's World Cup champion, and she's been inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame. And she's an analyst, reporter, and you see her as a primary color commentator for women's soccer telecasts on ESPN. But more importantly, she has written another book, and this is an outstanding book that I think everyone should read. It's called Choose to Matter, Your Guide to Being Courageously and Fabulously You. (laughs) Courageously and fabulously you. Did you sit around all night with a glass of wine and think that one up? Exactly. That was the 500th title I gave them as a choice. I Courageously gotta, and fabulously you. You must say it like that, Ron. There's got to be some music with it, too. I mean, if we're going to do it, let's do it big time. That's right. It's voting uh, graphic. You've heard all the things in the introduction, and I often, when I talk to people that have done a lot in their life and in sports, I always wonder what is the most important thing of everything that I said in introducing you that means Ooh, the most to you? Th- that's a great question. Um, right now, I actually just said this the other day to someone. I'm like, I am more proud of the fact that I am an author over any gold medal, World Cup championship, because it, it, I guess because I never just, it's always been kind of a bucket list item, but I never thought I would write a book and to finally be called an author. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm an author. I am an author. I tell my kids, a very important author. It's like uh, getting the title doctor. Right. Don't call me Dr. Jones. <laughs> I mean, Jones, call me Dr. Jones now. <laughs> Dr. Jones, Dr. Fowdy. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun. And it's, and you know, and it's thankfully, I never wanted to write an autobiography because that white kid from Orange County is not very exciting uh, from suburban Orange County. But, uh, and I never wanted to write like a sporty X's and O book. So that's why I think I'm super pumped about this because it's, it's a life book. It's a, hopefully it's a, you know, hey, look, I'm going to, I'm going to get you out of your comfort zone because I was surrounded by these awesome teammates who helped me do that and, and be courageous and do things I never thought I could do. And if I can be that voice and, I can interview women in the book to help you get there, then I think that's you know one of the most important things in my life I've ever done. One of the things that I have found in talking to people and talking to athletes in particular is the fact that you got to go back to where they grew up, how they grew up, what were the early influences in their lives that really molded them into what they are. Let me ask you that question because mm-hmm. it's a legitimate. I know white girl from Orange County, but there had to be more <laughs> to it than just that. Well, it's interesting because the catalyst to so much in this book was that I grew up thinking that, you know, leadership was a very linear thing and it was positional and it was a narrow definition and you had to be a president or a politician 
or a celebrity or someone in a position of power to make a difference. And then as I got older and I got surrounded by these amazing women on the U.S. team, I realized that, gosh, my definition of leadership is so narrow and wrong. It, it's not because what I was reading in history books was, you know, a white man or a tall, you know, a guy on a horse with a tall hat and a sword. <laughs> and I wasn't going to be a general, a five-star general. And I didn't look like, you know, the men I was reading about in history books. So all of a sudden I looked around and realized, wow, leadership is so diverse and it's different and it's quiet and it's loud. It's cerebral. It's emotional. It's all these things. And that you just have to figure out what you are, what is authentically your style, because that's what people want to follow. Uh, and that was really an epiphany for me, I think, when I was growing up to see, you know, a Mia Hamm who hated the spotlight and didn't want to be this, you know, person in the middle of the huddle pounding her chest. That wasn't her, right? But that's what I thought a leader was. And then I watched her in action and the way she led in such a personal way. And I realized you need all of that. For a team to come together or for a group to be successful. Why soccer? Why did you gravitate in that direction? Um, I was that hyperactive child that liked to be around people and move. And so those two fit, right? A team sport, lots of running. Um, and, and it wasn't actually, you know, nowadays it's like, you know, I remember when my kids were four, you know, six years old and people were like, why don't you have them in soccer yet? They're six. How dare you as a bad mother not put them in? They're missing out on quality years. I'm like, they're going to be fine. Uh, so it wasn't actually until college that I just focused on soccer. I grew up playing everything, you know, basketball, softball, volleyball, tackle football. Uh, but soccer was the one I always kept coming back to. I'd be out on, you know, the front lawn juggling the soccer ball or doing little moves or kicking it against the garage door. And, and I do think it was that real team element. I was on the same team, the mighty soccerettes, for 10 years. And I love that. They were still to this day. They're some of my best friends. Tell me about the uh, development of your identity, your personal identity, because when kids are growing mm -hmm. up, they, right. they have to deal with a lot of things they're not prepared to deal with. And we hear a lot about bullying and everything. But for a woman in particular, finding that identity is really a mm -hmm. challenge. Yes, that's chapter nine, Ron. Uh, awkward is awesome because that was totally me. And in, in, in really, I mean, I joke about it now, but in high school, I had short hair that was so crazy thick that I was convinced it would grow up and defy gravity, right? It would actually grow into the air five feet. So I didn't want to grow out my hair because I didn't want hair growing up five feet. So I wore these big hoop earrings so people knew I was a girl because everyone, my friends called me Jimmy, my brother's friends, they all called me Jimmy. I looked like a little boy because I was always in my soccer gear. Um, I had a concave chest, so that never helps. And so I, I think that if I could have learned earlier that, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this phase. It's going to be awkward, but awkward is what, you know, helps you grow when you stumble. But it wasn't until, you know, probably in my 20s that I started to actually embrace awkward and celebrate that, you know what? Yes, I am awkward, and that's okay because it's different, and let's celebrate different, and that's a great thing. What was the aha moment for you? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I had one. I think I just realized... I finally got the confidence in my 20s post high school, sorry, post college to be like, who cares, right? Why am I worrying about this stuff? Who cares? Uh, and I, I think probably that coincided with, you know, being surrounded by these really strong women, you know, on, on my different various teams, whether it was my Stanford soccer team or my national, the national team, that 
started to just live as they wanted to live. So soccer was your comfort zone? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who in that group, that early group, uh, did you really assimilate a a little bit from? Um, Well, Mia, you know, to this day is still a dear friend. The other captain on the team, our captain for many years, Carla Overbeck, uh, who is just this incredible human being who led with this wonderful tone. You know, coaches are always telling, you know, athletes, you need to be more vocal. You need to speak up more. And then you get the kid that, you know, everyone wants to put on earmuffs because they can't handle <laughs> how much they're talking <laughs> and the way they're talking or the negativity in which they're talking. And yet Carla had this incredible ability to light a fire under you or motivate you in a special way. Um, and then Christine Lilly was another one. She was one of those players that you, know, you wanted to clone them because they just every time they came in, they were fit and, and it was never about her. Everything she did was understated, and yet she was so consistently great. Brandy Chastain, who um, was this energizer bunny, <laughs> and, and you just love the contagious energy she brought to everything. And so I was constantly around these different types, too, because Lil was, Christine Lilly was very quiet, Mia quiet, Brandy, you know, so effusive and gregarious, and, and, and watching them and learning from them was, I feel like, such a gift. In my life. When it came to the soccer, I always ask athletes, because I'm interested in, when was that moment you knew you could play at the next level, that you really thought you were good enough to be able to do that? And I know when it comes to baseball pitchers, the question I always am fascinated with the answer is, when did you become a pitcher instead of a thrower? Because there is a difference between the two. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I would say my 10th year on the national team was when I realized I could play at this level. <laughs> took me 10 years of actually being on the national team where I was like, okay, yeah, I belong. I can do this. Did you ever have any self, uh, self-doubt? self Oh, yeah, all the time. How did you Talk deal with it? a lot about that in the book, about it, you know strategies to uh, get out of that feeling of discomfort and being okay with it. And once you're okay with it, I mean, one of the things this woman in the book Dr. Colleen Hacker tells me about a lot is, you know, I used to say to her, Colleen, I have these, she worked with our national team for many years, I I have these terrible butterflies and I don't like them because I get into a game and I'm doubting myself and then I just go into this downward spiral. And she said, one of the most transformational things, she said, butterflies are a great thing. And I said, why? No, they're not. Why do you say that? And she said, because they mean you care. You're invested. You emotionally are into that. And that is a great thing. Never wish for the butterflies to leave. She said, now just teach them to fly in formation. And I was like, ah, how do you do that? <laughs> so, so in the book, we give a ton of different strategies. And she had, I actually wore this hairband where I'd snap it. During a game, it was like a physical motion to snap me out of it. And then once I learned that, it's amazing how quickly my confidence then followed. It really did work. Very fascinating conversation with a very talented woman, but a very interesting woman as well. And again, I want you to check out this book. It's called Choose to Matter, Your Guide to Being Courageously and Fabulously You. you. (laughs) We'll talk more about her career. We'll talk more about this book. We do that as we continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on America's Sports Talk Show. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, 
You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Julie Fowdy has joined us here on Sports Byline. If you know anything about soccer, anything about sports, anything about <laughs> women's athletics, then you certainly know that name, former U.S. national team midfielder. One of the things I've always interested in is uh, leadership and also um, I guess, the cohesiveness of a team. Uh, every time I'm in spring training, uh, the invariably the media will well, where's the leadership going to come on this team? Right. And, and I'm sure you've heard that uh, a lot of times as well. And what makes it fascinating about the time that you played, the teams that you played on, the athletes that you had is there. You can't be successful unless you've got a strong ego. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering yeah. how, how you blend those egos yeah. into a team situation because everybody thinks my way of doing it is the best way. Right. And you want that ego, right? Because it makes the team better. So I never am a fan of tapping down the ego in terms of that competitive drive, which I think people go, wait, wait, but you always talk about team chemistry. I'm like, yeah, you need both, right? But at the end of the day, the we has to be greater than the me, right? And so we had, and we had egos on the team and we had personalities, big personalities and competitiveness. And that's what drives the team to be so good. But at the end of the day, when I look back over the teams that won Olympics, won World Cups, the common denominator without fail is always that down to the 20th player, the last player on the bench or the last player on the roster, that person got that the we was greater than the me. Yeah, they, cared, the about, the day, they cared about the team more than they did their yeah, individual even self. If, even if they're, you know, they want to be on the field. But I look down and I, I always tell kids, look at footage of us when we score in the 99 World Cup and look at the bench. They'll flash to the bench and you'll notice that every single player is up cheering and going crazy not just like hey that's awesome they are going crazy because they really were into it they were celebrating we were celebrating each other it was about the team doing well yeah they wanted to be out there but the team had to do well you played in a lot of uh, matches and when i talk to golfers and i'll ask them the difference between a stop on the pga tour or a woman on the lpga tour Mm -hmm. but the difference between that and the British Open, the mm-hmm. Masters. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you the same question. The difference between a typical match and World Cup match, uh, also Olympic match as well. What are the dynamics that are different from just a regular match? Yeah, oh, it's what you live for. You know, by the end of my career, I was like, if I'm not playing a World Cup or an Olympic match, and I'm not interested. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> it's like, I'm done. That's when I knew I was like, I'm done. I only want Olympics from here on out. Everything else I'm not interested in. Um <laughs> It's funny because a dear friend of ours, Ron Billie Jean King, who uh, said to me before the 99 World Cup, I must have been saying to her, and and Billie, as you know, became a huge mentor for our national team. Um, And she, she, I must have been saying before the 99 World Cup, gosh, there's so much pressure because we're playing in these huge stadiums and we've promised that we're going to fill them up and that people are going to come and we don't know. And then what happens if we don't win? Because then people aren't going to come and we're worried about that. And she looked at me and she goes, Fowdy. Pressure is a privilege. <laughs> and, and her Billie Jean King roar, right? I was like, you're right. You're right. It is a privilege. What am I saying? This is great. She's like, you've done the work. 
Go out there and enjoy it. Embrace it. Pressure is a privilege. And that became our mantra for the entire 99 World Cup. We'd roar, pressure is a privilege. <laughs> People would kill to be in the spot. Go I'll, enjoy it. I'll tell you a funny story about her. I was doing a, a senior event out in Hawaii, and she had a, it, was, it was a doubles event. She was uh, one of the doubles players, and the other one, I can't recall who it was. But Billie Jean called her off of a lob. And she hit it. And, of course, in Hawaii, you know, the wind and everything. <laughs> and she hit it. And then on the fly, it hit the fence at the end of the court. <laughs> and her partner dropped her racket and said, you know, I could have done that, too. <laughs> and, I mean, it was just the funniest thing. The other one was Rosie Casals. <laughs> well, we're in Detroit. And, again, Billie Jean was up there. She was playing uh, doubles with Rosie Casals against uh, it was a kind of an ex- exhibition against two men's play. <laughs> and Alexander, John Alexander from uh, Australia, Hits the ball, or no, Billy Jean hit the ball, and uh, it went right between John Alexander's legs. And he looked down, pulled his shorts out a little bit, and you heard Rosie <laughs> say, John, <laughs> if it's not hurt, don't worry about it. <laughs> Carry on, John. <laughs> uh, you uh, Rosie, know, she's a gym, too. Uh, yeah, when you think about uh, uh, the, the big events that you did play in, uh, each one, I'm sure, was different from a personality standpoint, from a competitive standpoint mm-hmm. as well. What are the ones that really you never will ever forget, those moments? Yeah. Um, you know, I used to think like, oh, gosh, that's the best one I'm ever going to play in for a World Cup. And then I'd get to the next Olympics. and I'd be like, oh, this one was better. So they actually, they continually got better. And especially, you know, the Olympics are so different. You know, the three Olympics I played in, you know, I didn't realize in our very first Olympics when women's soccer, the very first time women's soccer was ever in the Olympics, was in 96, and we're here in the States. And and we didn't realize it because we'd never been to an Olympics. What a gift that is to be playing in your home country for the first ever women's soccer event, and then we go and win it in front of you know 80,000 out in Athens, Georgia that year. And I never thought we could top that. And then what's next? The 99 World Cup where, you know, we win it at the Rose Bowl and Brandy gets naked in front of 90,000, you know, and and no one thought we could do that. And then our last Olympics in, uh, in Greece, in Athens, you know, we're playing Brazil. And we knew Mia and I were retiring and the team knew, like, the, this Joy Fawcett was retiring. We knew, like, this was our last run. Uh, and I had said to my husband, if we don't win this, then I'm going to apologize right now because you're going to be married to a woman that you're not going to want to be with for the next 40 <laughs> years of your life. I can't even say the word I used, but it was the B word. And you do not want to be around this woman if we do not win this. Um, and really, we played a game we probably shouldn't have beat Brazil in the 2004 final, and then we go on and win it you know, with the Abby Wambach header. So... Uh, I kiss Abby's forehead all the time to this day, but that, you know, each one you go, gosh, it was so different and special in its own way. Uh, but there is something really magical to the Olympics. And to be able to play in three is just so, I feel so blessed. You know about the spontaneity of uh, a 99, of course, with what Brandy did. And I just wonder in retrospect, does everybody feel unanimously that it, it was a, something that should have happened? It was good to happen. I know it wasn't planned. <laughs> Uh, per se. I, uh, what, what, what? I will say, Ron, at the moment, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to answer this question now for the rest of my life. Brandy, put your top on, sister. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, at the moment, everyone was like, oh, you're just popular because, you know, you guys are attractive or, you know, they had a million reasons. You're good looking or you're, you know, you're like the next door neighbor that 
And I was like, no, we're probably popular because we're winning. We're damn good is why we're popular. And it helps that we're humble and normal and not paid a million dollars each. But uh, no, I mean, the thing is, as you know, right, in soccer, you celebrate. And Brandy was one of those like soccer nerds, right? She grew up watching every game. In, in men's soccer, they ripped the jersey off when they celebrate. And they used to twirl it around their head. And that was kind of a soccer celebration. So for her, you know, and she still, still says it today, it was just so instinctive. That's like what you did. You know, as a kid, you like rip your jersey off. So, no, I, I, I love that image. And thank God it wasn't me with my love handles on the front of, <laughs> you know, a bunch of magazines. Let me ask you about 96 because uh, out of the 96 uh, World Cup, it was believed that that was going to be the launching pad for women's soccer in this country. Right. And it didn't happen. And I right. don't know why it didn't happen. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It was just talking about this the other day with with Mike and Mike that, that you know it's especially because it, it the images you get from that right 90,000 and it's you know it took over the country for the summer and I thought gosh this is going to be the catalyst that's needed not just in women's sports but specifically in women's soccer because the challenge we have in women's soccer is we have so many girls playing in the states but globally still to this day it's very uh, unusual for women's programs to be supported by their countries. It's a man's sport, and it should be for men, and we're not going to support our women playing. And so I thought, oh, this will transform the world. And still to this day, I can count on two hands the amount of countries that support their women's program appropriately or well. And so that has been frustrating. I mean, I think it was good for this country to show the potential, but the, ha- the fact that it happened so slowly and is still happening so slowly, I agree, is, is very frustrating. We've got a, about a minute left uh, before we have to break again. And uh, when I think about where women's soccer is today, I still don't understand why it hasn't grown. I know you gave some insight with that answer, but is there anything that can be done about the women's game that can increase the, the popularity of it? Globally, I mean, the the nice thing is here, you know, this team is so popular and right. we're seeing we're seeing, um, you know, a, a, a great amount of interest, even in non-World Cup years and Olympic years. And that's encouraging. But globally, I think, is really the challenge. And you still have a lot of countries where, you know, they just, you know, and whether it's a I don't think it's even a conscious bias. It's more of, well, this is this is how we've always been. Right. Culturally, we're, you know, men play, not women. But the reason I have always advocated for it is we know, you know, sports transforms communities. If you can get girls playing from a young age, I think your community is a stronger place. And that's where why I've always been an advocate of Title IX. And as, as, as much as we can get other countries thinking that way as well, I think just the world's a better place. Yeah, in about 20 seconds, I also think it's because men are fearful that they're going to lose control in the certain cultures. I'm going to be honest with you, having yeah. gone to the Middle East. Yeah, yeah, yeah that they're fearful of strong women. Yep. Because that's what sports create, you know, not just physically, but I think it gives you a foundation for being a strong human being in life, which is what I love. And self-confidence as well. Yeah. We're going to talk about this wonderful book in our next segment. It's called Choose to Matter, Your Guide to Being Courageously and Fabulously You. And again, I want to urge everyone to check out this book because there are some, and you're going to hear some of the stories of the people that are in this book. Julie Fowdy with us in the studio. Again, a former U.S. national team midfielder and won two gold medals at the Olympics. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.